met Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I can't say how thrilled I am to have been given the theme of joy to preach on. Joy, the fruit of the Spirit, second only to love. Joy, our birthright as Christians, one of the attributes of God Almighty himself. At the heart of the Holy Trinity is the bliss of the mutual love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, ever at rest and ever dynamic, continually pouring out and eternally renewed. That transcendent love is inseparable from divine joy and the peace which is beyond all understanding and cannot be destroyed. They are inbuilt in the character of the triune God. So no wonder that when the second person of the Trinity came to earth, nothing that the world, the flesh, or the devil could throw at him was able to separate him from that holy joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. So if you and I are united with Jesus, then his spirit of joy is fully at work in you and me. Now, people tend to think of the Puritans as a pretty dour old lot, don't they? But when they set about expressing a definitive statement of the Christian faith in 1646-7, they wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And they asked the question, what is the chief end of man? Now, how do you think they answered it? To serve God and obey him forever? No. To abstain from all sin? No. No, the answer they gave was, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Your purpose in being on this planet is to enjoy God. I'm afraid that must come as something of a shock to a lot of people, both within and without the church, mustn't it? They think of us as being a bit solemn, really, a bit sombre. And that's because Satan extends, expends an awful lot of energy trying to rob us of our birthright. Because he knows that in a world oppressed by misery and sin, a Christian full of the joy of the Lord is dynamite to all his horrid schemes. And that's literally true. Dynamite comes from the Greek dunamis, which is the New Testament word both for God's power and the mighty works which Jesus did. Joy is both at the heart of the very character of God, what theologians call his esse, 
and it runs through the whole of his expression of his nature in action, what theologians call his economy. So that in Psalm 16, verse 11, great King David wrote, In your presence is fullness of joy. In fact, the Bible contains over 600 references to joy or rejoicing or or gladness or whatever. Um, It's true, not all of them are about a holy joy, some of them about rather unholy joy. But the vast, vast majority of them are about divine joy. And the word most commonly used in the Old Testament uh, carries the associated idea of shining radiance, joy and light. What's the first thing God says in the Bible? Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So light and joy go together in scripture. Uh, At creation, Job 38 verse 4 tells us, The morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So when God gave his law to Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone because he'd been talking with God. King David, Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And again, when Stephen was martyred, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Our Lord is everything that is light and life and love. But we live in a world in rebellion against its maker. It contains vast waves of darkness and death and hate such that we're liable to be overwhelmed by them and if we try to rise above them just in our own strength we'll we'll be swamped won't we and it's worse for Christians than for other people because other people can just tell themselves well life is meant to be just bloody brutal and unfair but we believe in a God who orders his world so when everything goes wrong in it we start to flounder and that is when we find out whether we have really been making our way through life relying on our own grit and determination and inner or physical strength because if that's the case then we will find ourselves at some point on the verge of drowning and as for any joy well that went out of the window a long time ago and then that spiteful little voice from satan whispers in our ear see i always told you you were useless you're a failure as a christian you're a failure as a person (laughs) no There's only one person who is able to cause us to walk on the water, the one whose almighty strength defeated all the powers of darkness, the one who, Luke 10, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and John 17 prayed for his disciples that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is he who said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full who told his followers you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you so that's why he invites us ask and you will receive that your joy may be full early on in his ministry Jesus told a story about servants discharging the responsibilities given to them by their master and being told, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
So no wonder when pregnant Mary went to see her even more pregnant cousin Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. Or the angels at Jesus' birth announced, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So God is joy in himself, and he comes into his world to bring joy, and wonderfully, and this is the thing I find mind-boggling, wonderfully, you and I can give him joy. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's Zephaniah 3.17. Isn't it the most mind-blowing thought? Just as you and I can sing praises to God, so God can go about heaven caroling happily to himself as he looks at his children. Because he's so thrilled at the way his dear children are getting on living his life out in love and truth down here. Have you ever thought of yourself? We know we can distress the Holy Spirit, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but when we get it right, we give Jesus, we give the Father, we give the Spirit such delight. You, you may sometimes find, perhaps, just occasionally, that your children are a bit tiresome. No, no, just mine. They, you, they can get things wrong. And um, on those occasions when you get they get a report saying they've been so kind at school or so nice or so helpful when you watch them doing something that's that's just good you get a real joy don't you oh i'm so thrilled my children are like that well that's what god feels about you on a heavenly scale indeed when think of a wedding think of the bridegroom and there is his beautiful bride and he is so proud of her and she thinks she's mine i'm just love and joy go together so tightly don't they well isaiah 62 verse 4 as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you thrill to bits deuteronomy 30 verse 9 the lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers so it's not a case of working ourselves up into a happy, clappy mood all the time, let alone a case of having to wander around with a slightly nauseating smile across our faces wherever we go. It's simply a case, it's not trying to crank it up inside. That's, that's when, you know, then you get under condemnation, oh, I'm not joyful enough, I must... No, you just go to Jesus and you say, recognise that joy is in God. Psalm 43, why are you cast down in my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I'll go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. Well done, David. You've got it absolutely right. Or 1 Timothy 6. He is the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. There's so many wonderful delights on this planet for us to appreciate, but everything created is subject to the possibility of frustration and disappointment and disillusionment. So we go to Psalm 87. All my springs of joy are in you. Draw down from the fountainhead. Let all the lovely things on earth point you back up to the one who made them. Yes. But when things do disappoint and distress you, look beyond them to the bliss of heaven for which these trials are preparing you. 
2 Corinthians 4.16, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So if you keep your gaze fixed not on the gifts but on the eternal joy of the giver, you'll receive the inner strength to carry on through whatever the world, the flesh and the devil try to throw at you. Because God does work all things together for good for those who love him. It's simply a question of learning to see the treasure of joy that he has hidden in the darkness. And once you've grasped that, well then of course you experience the mighty strength of the Lord because he shone the light of heaven into the gloomiest recesses of your existence. Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you. As they go through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength. Psalm 81, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. The irresistible joy of the Lord, the joy of heaven, the joy of eternity, the joy of redemption. So Habakkuk 3 verse 18, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. There may be deep chasms underneath your feet. Let's not pretend. There may be deep, deep things. You can see things that could go so desperately wrong. Perhaps they already have. But the Lord enables you to spring from crag to crag without falling. And whenever it feels as though your life involves wading through thick mud, invite him to pick you up and set you dancing on the peaks of paradise. How does that happen? Well, as we saw at the beginning of the service, when we first hear the word of the Lord, then yes, like the congregation in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, it's a right reaction to weep. We appreciate how badly we've let him down, what a mess we've been making of our lives and of our world. We come to him in deep repentance. But then, once we've understood the glory of his redemption of of us, the completeness of his plan of salvation, how he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, oh, then there's no place for tears. All is grace and glory. And we are to be like David, celebrating as he brings the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, singing, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. And if we'd gone on a few more chapters in Nehemiah, we'd have read Nehemiah 12. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Gosh, if that is how the church can be, if that is what we can be, if that is what you carry with you wherever you go. When I was a curate in Huddersfield, there was a little lady who'd come to faith recently. She had the most amazing... Wherever she went, she had these extraordinary conversations about the Lord. And... um, uh, she'd gone to pay her gas bill and she'd uh, ended up giving her testimony and uh, explaining the gospel and things to the clerk behind the counter. I said, How do you do that? She said, well, I went in and 
he said to me, what are you so happy about? And I said, well, wouldn't you be happy if you knew all your sins had been forgiven? <laughs> and off she went. Because she was carrying that radiance and delight wherever she went. So, hear the word of the Lord, Christians of Sussex. I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. That's Isaiah 60 verse 15. And Acts 13, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.